Welcome to the Christ Walk Podcast. At Christ Walk Church, we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. Enjoy the message. What's up, Christ Walk? It is so good to have the family all together this morning. Um, Thank you guys. Yeah. This is awesome. This is awesome. Um, Thank you guys so much for, for... kind of dealing with us in the midst of, of a little bit of transition and um, uh, as, we, as we transition from 9.15 and 11 to, to 10 a.m. with all the family together for um, this next uh, season in the, the history and life of our church. And I am just pumped about today. Um, every day that I get to be your pastor is a good day. And, um, and, and I, don't take, I don't take what I do and, and my position here lightly. And, um, uh, you know, so we just crossed over. Actually, like February 5th is the, the official, um, my first day as the pastor of Christ Walk Church. And so we just crossed over that threshold um, this past week, and it's been two years um, and I would be lying if I said that those were easy years. Um, they've, it's certainly been, you know, there, there's, there's, been, there's been a lot of fun. There's been a lot of laughter. There's been a lot of tears. There's been um, a lot of challenges and adversity. But um, two years down, 33 to go. So, yeah. Um, so get used to this face. It's not going anywhere. Uh, but there's, there's, there's just, there's some people that I, that I want to recognize um, here before I jump into today's message, so uh, if if you if you will, um, you know, allow me to uh, to do this. Uh, over the past two years, it, it it's been and and it still is um, an in, incredibly surreal experience where I'm out in the community somewhere and I hear someone call me pastor. Um, you know, some of you haven't made that transition yet, and that's okay. All right, we got 33 more years, and we're just going to, I'm going to keep loving you, and, you know, we'll just, we'll figure it out together. Um, but when I came here in August of 2017, when I, when I showed up on the scene, I, to, to most everyone that was here, I was just Blake. And um, I'll never forget, it was, uh, it was around this time, um, two years ago, that uh, the very first person that I remember called me just pastor out in the community. And she's sitting right back there. It's Mackenzie Hampton. Um, and I was at school. I, I had gone because I needed to take something to Avery at school. And, and I was standing, I was actually standing out in the parking lot. I was talking to Brad Akers. And I heard this, no, like, this noise, like, ah, like someone yelling and everything. And then, I, and then I finally caught what it was. And it was a little girl saying, that's my pastor. That's my pastor. And she was walking from the lunchroom back to her classroom with her teacher and all of her classmates and everything. And she wanted the world to know (laughs) that I was her pastor. And so, Mackenzie, that is a moment that I will never, ever forget as long as I live. And that's a bond that you and I will, will share together and um, when I still have to pinch myself a lot whenever I hear somebody call me pastor. Um, it, it's, not, it's not something that I, take, uh, that I take lightly, and it is truly an honor to be your pastor. Um, over the course of these two years, there have been a lot of people that have not afforded me the opportunity to be their pastor. And so I want to say to those of you that have stayed during this transition, thank you for staying. And letting me be your pastor. For those of you that have come to be a part of Christ Walk during these two years, thank you so much for coming to be a part of this incredible house and for allowing me to be your pastor. And for all of you who have given a lot of grace and forgiveness as I have like a, 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 a young toddler trying to figure out how to walk and how to put one foot in front of the other um, as, I, as I learn to pastor a church. And I'm still learning. I don't have it figured out. I got 33 more years to get it right. 
Just about the time I figure it out, I believe Jesus will probably call me home at that point or, you know, should he tarry. But, but that, it's the journey that we're on together. So the, the fact that, that you've allowed me the grace and the forgiveness and that you've been patient with me, um, that's not lost on me. So thank you guys for doing that. Those of you who have given so generously um, that, that there's already been some things in the, in the envelopes and in the baskets in the back, those of you that have written, um, written letters, I, I've gotten letters from some of the kids in kids' church. Every, like I will, those are treasures that I will hold on to for the rest of my life. I promised myself I wouldn't cry. <laughs> um, our staff, uh, Pastor Nate, his wife Chelsea, um, uh, Brooke Swanson, um, just absolutely incredible people to work with. They, they, help, um, they help to make me look good, uh, which is a difficult task, um, you know, on a weekly basis. And so thankful for their partnership and the ability to, um, to do, uh, to do what, what I do um, and, and what, what we're doing here. Our, our elders, um, our staff, uh, our church, church and pastors council, um, you guys keep me in line. And you help to be sure that the church is moving in the direction that it needs to move in. And a lot of the success that we have experienced here um, over these past two years has been because of your influence and your involvement um, in, in coming alongside of me and Sarah and putting your arms around us and, and shoulder to shoulder, elbow to elbow. We've, we've faced some difficult things and we've walked through it together and we're better because of it. And so your, your influence and your, um, your love and care and support of me is, uh, it means the world. It means more to me than you'll ever know. Um, for those of you that serve on um, one of our teams and you volunteer here on a Sunday morning to help make this happen, like, it would be nothing without you, like, you know, uh, if, if it wasn't for you here wrapping your arms around people and loving and caring for them and greeting them as they come in and taking care of kids in the, um, in, you know, in our kids' environments and everything, I would just be standing up here talking to an empty room. So thank you guys so much for what you do. You are the heartbeat of this church. Um, to my kids, Luke and Avery, uh, I get it, man. Being a pastor's kid ain't easy. Um, you guys are awesome, and I love you, and I want to be just like you when I grow up. <laughs> I love the way that, Luke and Avery, I love the way that you love Jesus, and I love the way that you just get involved with, with whatever mom and dad are doing, and that you... Church isn't something that you're dragged to. Church is something that you want to be a part of. And I hope that your mom and I can continue to lead in such a way that that's always the case. And that you don't become cynical towards this, but that it's always something that you want to be around and, and be a part of to, to help be a part of seeing broken people made whole. And really the best part about me being the pastor here is my wife. Um... <laughs> This woman puts up with so much, namely me, and any good thing that you see coming out of me or, or from me is because of her and her influence, her love, her support, her care for me, for our kids. I love the way that you lead our family. Um, I love the example that you set as a woman, as a wife, as a mother for not just for me, but, but for this house. I'm thankful for you. I wouldn't want to do this with anybody else. And there's probably no one else out there dumb enough to do it with me. <laughs> it doesn't matter what I say. It's going to get turned back around on me. <laughs> I know. Thank you, guys. It, it's an incredible honor to be your pastor, and I'm excited about the future of this church. Um, so here's to 33 more years together. Yeah. Um, if you got your Bibles, you got a smart device, I want to invite you to turn with me or swipe with me to the New Testament this morning. 
um, to the book of Colossians. In case you're unaware, the Bible's divided up into uh, two kind of large sections of Scripture. You've got the Old Testament towards the front of the Bible. You've got the New Testament towards the back of the Bible. And we're going to be in the New Testament, the book of Colossians. It's actually, um, even though we call it a book, it's actually a letter that was written um, by the Apostle Paul. Um, and uh, 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 he wrote several letters, like a- approximately half of um, the, the New Testament. And then, um, so if you stick a finger there or, or just know that we're going to swipe beyond that, um, we are, we're going we're gonna to move to um, uh, Hebrews chapter 10. It's a little further back in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 10. Um, so we're going to start there in Colossians 1, um, starting with verse 9 here in just a minute. Um, But we're kicking off this brand new series called Confessions of a Church Pastor, and I can't think of a better way on on Pastor Appreciation Sunday than for us to launch a series like this. And and ultimately, this is just an opportunity for me to just, I'm just going to share my heart with you. Um, over the next few weeks, um, some things that I've, that I've seen in the scriptures that, um, that I'm believing for you, that I'm praying over you, that I'm praying over this house and believing for its people. And it, it all stems from this passage here in Colossians um, chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. And I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation um, this particular passage this morning. So it may look and sound a little bit different than what you're reading, but Um, the Passion Translation reads it this way. It says, since we first heard about you, this is Paul talking to the people um, in Colossae, since we first heard about you, we've kept you always in our prayers that you would receive the perfect knowledge of God's pleasure over your lives, making you reservoirs of every kind of wisdom and spiritual understanding. We pray that you would walk in the ways of true righteousness pleasing God in every good thing you do. Then you'll become fruit-bearing branches, yielding to his life and maturing in the rich experience of knowing God in his fullness. Verse 11. And we pray that you would be energized with all his explosive power from the realm of his magnificent glory, filling you with great hope. Your hearts can soar with joyful gratitude when you think of how God made you worthy to receive the glorious inheritance freely given to us by living in the light. Verse 13, he has rescued us completely from the tyrannical rule of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom realm of his beloved son. For in the son, all our sins are canceled and we have the release of redemption through his very blood. Several months ago in my devotional reading, I came across this passage, and it just like jumped off the page to me. I, I spent some time journaling through it, and it has been kind of on the back burner of my mind for many, many months. And I've been reading it, going back to it over and over and over, and reading it and processing it and thinking through it and, and praying through it and then here over the past little bit, I've been praying it over my life and over the life of my family, and I've been praying it over each of you. In fact, there's um, a place on the back of my office door that's kind of a little, uh, a little prayer hub where I put some notes and I have a marker board and I write some things there that, to remind me of things that I need to pray for and situations and people and circumstances. And as I spend time in my office just praying, I'll just shut the door and I'll stand there in front of it and I'll kind of walk through those things. And up in the corner of the small marker board um, that I've been praying with is some directives out of this passage that for the next few weeks, I just want to share with you these things that I'm praying for you, these things that I'm believing for you. And so these are my confessions to you. This is, if I were to confess anything, it's that I want to lead a church full of these kinds of people, full of the people that, that received the gift that Paul prayed over the people of Colossae. And, and so as Paul prayed for them to receive that and to have these things evident in their lives, I'm praying and believing that you too would receive these things and have them evident in your lives. And so as we kick off this series today for the next few minutes and the time that I have left, I wanna talk to you for a little bit about knowing God's will. 
knowing God's will. I, I want us to be a house where um, the sons and daughters of God in this house that, that we know and are confident in God's will. But there is little part of the Christian faith that to many people seems more elusive than knowing, discovering, discerning God's will in our lives. And in fact, as a pastor, it's one of the questions that I get asked about more often than just about anything else is, is, is Pastor Blake, how can I know God's will? How do I know that I'm living in God's will? And, and questions like this often um, uh, arise whenever someone is faced with some kind of difficulty in their life, whenever they face some kind of struggle or adversity, when things aren't going the way that they would like, because, because they, they start to attribute those things and believe that, that if, if my life is going in a way that I don't like, if I'm experiencing some difficulty, some adversity, then, then clearly there must be something better and different out there for me, and, and that because I'm experiencing this over here because I'm not in the will of God. And so if I'm not in the will of God, then how do I make the jump to get there? Because if I could just get in God's will, then all of this stuff over here probably wouldn't be happening. But a lot of times I wonder if we aren't happy in our ignorance toward the will of God. Because on paper, it seems awfully spiritual to want to know and to be in the middle of God's will. But I wonder, is, is, it, is it possible that too often we want to know God's will not so that we can obey it, but so we can just consider it? Just let that hit home for a second. And... And then if we find out God's will, what are we supposed to do if when we discover what God's will is for us, we really don't like what he has to say? We really don't like where it's leading us. We, we don't like what he's calling us toward. Like, like, what do we do with that, right? It reminds me of this story that I read about this, this old Scottish woman who would travel about the countryside peddling her homemade goods and wares door to door in order to make ends meet. And as the story goes, um, every time she would come to a crossroads, she could often be seen um, throwing a stick up in the air. It was a rather curious practice. And um, once a traveler was walking along the road near her and, and came across this woman in the midst of this crossroads and saw her throwing this stick up into the air. And so curious, the traveler asked, why is it that you're tossing this stick into the air? And she said, well, it's really quite simple. Whenever I come to a fork in the road, I toss a stick in the air to help discern which direction that the Lord is leading me to travel from this point forward. The traveler got a really kind of puzzled look on his face, and so he asked the woman, he said, well, then can you provide a little bit more clarity because I've, I've just watched and you've tossed the stick now three times in the air. And she said, well, it's really quite simple. The reason I've tossed the stick three times in the air is because the first two times God was telling me to go in the wrong direction. See, what you and I need to understand is that we don't discern or discover or enter into the will of God on our own terms. God gives us his will according to his terms and according to what he deems is best and necessary for us. And it's also important to know that, that God isn't the one making his will for our lives so difficult to discover. It's you and I who do that to ourselves and when it comes to fulfilling God's will for our lives, we want to make it about a series of choices that we have to get exactly right and in the right order. And if, if we happen to slip up, if we happen to, to miss one, then we find ourselves living outside of God's will. We kind of treat it like, like I would back in the day playing Nintendo, like some specialized video game code. And if we just punch all the buttons the right way and in the right sequence and the right order, a, a new level will be unlocked for us. But if we get them wrong, then we won't be able to advance in the game. And the next level will be withheld. 
When it comes to God's will, we, we get frozen in terror asking questions like, should I go right or should I go left? Do I go to this school or do I go to that school? Do I choose that career or should I choose that career? Do I marry this person or do I marry that person? And I got to be honest, like all that sounds exhausting to me, right? I would hate to think that one slip up on my part could cause me to miss the will of God for my life. Like surely the God of the universe is bigger than that, right? I believe that he is. But see, there's, there's another side to this coin as well. And it's the side where people try and equate God's will with the things that they're passionate about. And that we can, we can search deep inside and then we find the things that we're passionate about and we add them up all together. And that becomes some sort of indicator of what God's will is for our life. But I wonder, do you think Joseph was passionate about being sold into slavery? Do you think Paul was passionate and desiring to be shipwrecked and imprisoned? Do you think Jesus really wanted to go to the cross and lose his life? I think that we can see in the scriptures that that's an emphatic no. But yet all of those men and others like them throughout scripture, they they surrendered their lives to the will of God, even though it was something that was difficult for them, even though it was something that they did not desire to be a part of. They realized that his will was greater than theirs. And the problem with both sides of this coin here is that they make the will of God out to be about us. But God's will is not about us. It's about him. And and when it comes to our passions, the truth is, if we would make pursuing Jesus our passion, then everything else would fall into place no matter what. If, if we'll make pursuing Jesus our passion, then, then discovering the will of God and, and walking in the will of God, it really becomes quite easy. And, and in Hebrews chapter 10, you can turn there if you'd like. We're going to spend a little bit of time there for the next few minutes. Hebrews chapter 10, in, in verse 10, um, the writer, who is likely the Apostle Paul, but there is some debate among scholars So whoever is writing this, probably Paul, he he makes out the will of God to be quite simple here in Hebrews 10, verse 10. He says, for God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. God's will was for us to be made holy. That's his will, that we would be a people of holiness. And and this certainly seems to line up with um, God's directives and his commandments from the Old Testament. For example, Leviticus 19, verse 2, God tells Moses, he says, Give the following instructions to the entire community of Israel. You must be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. And that's just one of many examples of the Old Testament where the Lord gives some sort of commandment, some sort of directive along those lines. Tell the people to be holy, to be set apart, to be consecrated, to be be, uh, uh, sanctified for a special divine purpose. You must be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. And when I read that in Hebrews 10, and when I look back at the narrative of the Old Testament and all of those commands, like it seems really pretty cut and dry to me is that God's will is for you and me to be pursuers of holiness. But that brings up the question, like why is holiness so important? So glad you guys ask great questions. See, holiness is important is because holiness is the key that unlocks the door to God's presence. We talked about this just a few weeks ago in our last series, Psalm 24. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may dwell in his holy place? Those with clean hands and pure hearts, right? Righteous behavior, godly character, 
holiness, those that are sanctified, those that are set apart. And it is integral for you and for me to be in the presence of God because the presence of God is what reveals the will of God. And anytime we are in God's presence, guess what? We are in his will. He's not trying to trick us. The presence of God reveals the will of God. And anytime we are in his presence, we are in his will. But the reason that you and I find this difficult is because we haven't spent enough time in his presence. The reason we find such a great amount of difficulty in determining and discerning his will for our lives is because we simply haven't spent enough time in his presence. And we come to a crossroads and we're trying to figure out, do I go this way or do I go that way? And we can't figure it out because we don't know which way the presence of God is leading us. Because on the back end, we haven't spent enough time in his presence to recognize it. But see, Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, the more time we spend in his presence, the more familiar we become with it. And the more familiar we become with it, the easier it is for us to recognize. And then what happens is, is as we spend time in his presence and, and we walk through this life, we get over here and we go, mm, nope, that direction, that decision, that thing over there, nope, that's not God's presence. And so we course correct and we get over here and we, yep. This is it. I recognize the Lord's presence over here. This is where he is leading me. This is where he is guiding me. And we're able to do that because we've spent time up front in his presence so that we can know where he is leading us. Because when we're in his presence, we're always in his will. He's not going to send us anywhere that his presence is not. David wrote about it in the Psalms. If I make my, bell, uh, my bed in hell or if I ascend to the heavens wherever I go, you are there with me. He's not going to lead us to a place where he is not also. And so if we'll spend time in his presence and, and we'll, we'll become familiar with his presence, then figuring out his will will really be quite simple. We just follow after his presence because when we're in his presence, we're in his will. So the ultimate question then is, if this is what is to be gained from dwelling in God's presence through the pursuit of holiness, then, then how can we make it a reality in our lives? If, if God's will is for us to be holy so that we can be in his presence, then, then what do we do? What is our next steps? And so jump down from Hebrews 10.10, 10, jump down to verse 19. Jump down to verse 19, and, and from 19 to 25, the writer of Hebrews kind of reveals this to us. And it starts out there in verse 19. It says, and so, and, and so anytime you see something like that in the scripture, you need to know it's pointing back to something that happened previously. So in this case, it's saying, for God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. And then we get to verse 19, and what the writer is saying is that since we've been made holy by the, by the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ once and for all time, so, then he says, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. See, that's pointing us to God made us holy so that we could enter into his presence. And right here, what you're seeing happen is this is a reversal of the Old Testament day of atonement. The Day of Atonement, in case you're unfamiliar, is, was, it, was an Old Testament practice where it was one day a year and the high priest, he would offer a sacrifice, and, and through the sacrifice of, of that blood, that, that he would be able to go into what is called the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. And that's the place where the Ark of the Covenant dwelt. It was that big, that big box covered in gold, and it had golden cherubim. And on the inside were the, uh, were the tablets of the Old Testament, uh, 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 the, the Old Testament covenant of the Ten Commandments, and, and um, Aaron's staff that budded, and a jar of manna. And it was to remind the people of what God 
God had done and what he had established for them. On top of that was a lid and it had golden cherubim with their wings spread out. And in the middle of those two wings, that was uh, where where those, those wings connected. It was known as the mercy seat. And that's where the presence of God would come and dwell in the tabernacle or in the temple. And once a year, the high priest, he would have to offer a sacrifice and he was the only one that was allowed to go in there and be in the midst of the presence of God. But through the work of Jesus on the cross, the Bible tells us that that when he breathed his last breath, that the veil, the curtain in the temple that separated the common folk from the place that only the high priest could go, that that separated the, it was, was, we're just on the edge of God's presence. and, And now in the Holy of Holies, now all of us, we have direct access to the Father. That because of the work of the cross, like we don't have to go through anybody else. That, that you and I, we can all step directly into his presence. We're not living vicariously through someone else. We all have access to his presence. And so God died, Jesus died on the cross so that we could be made holy. And as he died on the cross, the, the curtain, the veil was torn in two so that through the holiness bestowed to us by the cross of Christ, now we can step into the presence of God. So that's what's going on here. It's a reversal that's taking place. And so now that you and I, we've got direct access to the presence of God, well, then how do we get into it, right? If we have access to it, what what are the things that are going to keep us in his presence? And, 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 And verses 21 through 25 of Hebrews chapter 10, they tell us just that. So there's four areas of diligence. If you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write these down. Four areas of diligence that you and I need to be concerned with in order to remain in God's presence, four areas of diligence for us to remain in God's presence. The first one of those is we need to be diligent in our faith. We need to be diligent in our faith. Hebrews 10, 21 and 22 says, And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, watch this, let us go, all right? There's all these let us statements. Let us go into the presence of God, right? Because that's what holiness has afforded us to, to move into God's presence. So let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. That's faith. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. We've been made clean. There's no longer a middleman. We don't have to go through the high priest. You don't have to come and talk to me so that I can talk to God on your behalf. You can just right there where you are, in your car, in your seat, in your your bedroom, in your living room, whatever, at the restaurant. You can just talk to God. You can be in his presence right there. There's no middleman. We have direct access. Listen to this. We have direct access to the God of the universe, the one who spoke and it came into existence. You and I can be in his presence because of the holiness afforded us through the cross of Christ. So that means we need to dream bigger dreams and we need to pray bolder prayers and we need to believe God for more because it's not just anyone that we've been given access to. It is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It is the most high, the one and only God. We have access directly to him. So we've got to be people full of great faith, believing him for more. We don't just have access to some lowly peon. We've got access to the owner of the company, the one who controls it all. He's calling all the shots. That's the person that we have access to. In Deuteronomy 7 and 9, it says, Understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. So if we need to be people of faith, then simply what we're doing is is we're mirroring the faithfulness of God. 
Because God is faithful. Even, even in, uh, uh, there's a part of Timothy that says, even when we're not faithful, he's still faithful because he cannot corrupt his own character. He's just faithful. And so we honor God's faithfulness by being faithful in return. To be a person of faith, we've got to be faithful in our time. That means we put him first. By practicing a Sabbath, six days we labor and work. But on the seventh day, just like God did, we rest. I believe that God can help us get more done in six days. If we'll put him first and we'll rest on the seventh, then if we work and labor and do all of those things for seven days, I believe that as we honor God, he will honor us. That means we put him first in our devotional life. Spending time reading God's word, that means we put, put him first in our, in our prayer life. Spending time praying with him and those things aren't an afterthought. That Those things are a priority and they become a regular part of who we are. Going to his word, reading and learning, discovering about him. That we spend time talking to him in communication, praying. Not just talking to him, but listening to him talk back to us. We prioritize those things. We prioritize them in our thought life. We prioritize them in our activities, et cetera, et cetera. We've, we've got to put God first in our time if we're going to be faithful. Another area that we're faithful to God is with our talents. Just using our gifts to bring him glory and, and point others in his direction. It would, it would curl our nose hair to think about how much talent is just being set on in this little auditorium here this morning because of people unwilling to just be faithful to God with the things that he's given them. God, God's given you some stuff that he wants you to use to make a difference for the kingdom, to make a difference in the lives of other people. He's given you talents with musical instruments or a voice or with computers or you're just a people person or you're a creative or whatever. He's given you those gifts and abilities so that you can use them to make a difference and help build his kingdom. You can be faithful with your talent by joining a serving team or by leading a small group. You can be faithful with your talent by, by starting a ministry or just figuring out some way that I don't, like, I don't know. Like, whatever you're good at, whatever you like, whatever you enjoy, whatever skills you have, if there's not a place for it, come and talk to me. We'll find a place for it. Because God wants you to be faithful in the skills, the gifts, the talents, the abilities that he's given you to serve the body of Christ in order to increase the kingdom. We're faithful in our time, we're faithful in our talent, we're faithful in our treasure. Yep, I went there. We've got to honor God with our finances. We've got to believe him to take care. That means, that means if, if we're going to be faithful to God in our finances, that means the first 10% of our income, we return back to him because it's his. We're not giving it to him, thank you. We're not giving it to him. Because we can't give something that doesn't belong to us. We're simply returning it. And we're, being, we're saying, God, in the same way that we, we are with, with our time and we Sabbath, we're saying, God, I believe that you can do more through me on this 90% than I could do by myself with all 100%. We're going to be faithful to him with our tithe. We're going to give of our offerings in order to create a culture of generosity. Why do we give? Because he gave to us. God is a giver. And right there, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave the most precious gift, his one and only son. But yet we're going to sit on our wallets. We're going to say, God, I'll receive eternal life, but you can't have this $10. Come on. We create a culture of generosity. We, we use the blessings of God in our life to be a blessing to others in order to advance his kingdom. We haven't been blessed so that we can store up all the treasure and have all the things. We've been blessed so that we can be a blessing. And if we'll just be a conduit for God's blessing, then guess what's going to happen? If we'll take the little bit that we have and use it to be a blessing to others, guess what's going to happen? He's going to give us even more. And we'll be able to be an even greater blessing. We're faithful in our time. We're faithful in our talent. We're faithful in our treasure. And we're faithful in our testimony. This is telling others about what God has done for us. 
It's through witnessing, which is giving others an opportunity to receive Jesus as Savior. Lead them through ABC, admit, believe, choose. It's encouraging people, sharing your story with others to, to build them up. They need to hear the things that God has done in your life, and it will encourage them. It will inspire them to follow after Jesus as well. If we'll be generous and liberal with our story, it's, it's inviting, like extending an invitation for someone to come to church or to be a part of the small group or just be included in your circle of influence. It's being a bringer, which is actually like putting feet, like action onto the invitation. You're not just saying, hey, I hope you'll come. You're saying, hey, I want you to come and I've got a seat in my car for you. Meet me right here at, you know, 930, whatever. We'll go together. We've got to be faithful in our time, our talent, our treasure, and our testimony if we want to be in the presence of God. Second thing, we've got to be faithful. We've got to be diligent in our hope. Not just diligent in our faith, we're diligent in our hope. Verse 23 of Hebrews 10 says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. This just requires a shift in our attitude, a shift in our focus, a shift in our perspective. You know, we want to get all, we want to get all down in the mouth and we want, to, we want to shake our fist at God and we want to look at our current situation and the difficulties and everything that's going on. We want to complain and we want to, like, because we're miserable, we want everyone around us to be miserable. And we've forgotten all the good things that God has done and we've forgotten all the blessings that he's brought to our life. We've forgotten about the hope that we have. So we need to shift our attitude. We need to start looking at difficulty and adversity as opportunities to grow and learn and to develop and become the complete person that God is calling us to be. James 1, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials and tribulations of many kinds. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. The hope that you and I have is that what we are seeing right now, what we are experiencing right now, it's only temporary. This world and this life is not all there is for us. When we have put our hope and our trust in Jesus, that means something better is still yet to come. Because of Jesus, his best is still yet to come. Because one day, all the mess, all the chaos, all the trauma, all the drama, all the, the pain, all the hurt of this world, it's going to go away. And you and I, who have put our trust in him as Lord and Savior, we are going to stand before him in heaven forever and ever and ever, all of eternity. That's the hope that we have to look forward to. And so if we'll shift our attitude, if we'll change our perspective, then things here, it really ain't all that bad. Because some glad morning when this life is over, I'm gonna fly away. I'm leaving this world behind. On that happy morning, on that happy day, I'm going to step right out on the wings above, and I'm going to fly away. I'm going home. This world's not my home. I'm just a traveler flipping sticks, trying to figure out which crossroads to. That's it. I don't belong here. That's the hope that I have. We've got to be diligent in our faith. We've got to be diligent in our hope. We've got to be diligent in our love. Hebrews 10, 24 let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. See, our faith shouldn't be based solely on what's in it for us, but rather on what we can do for other people. How we can be conduits, vessels to show the love of Jesus Christ to the world around us. 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 12 says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God, and anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But everyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. And this is real love, not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. 
No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. We love because he first loved us. See, those outside the faith, they will know that we are his followers by the way that we love each other. There should be a marked difference between us and the unbeliever in how we love each other. Not just the people in this room, but even the people that don't see things on the same plane. They don't see eye to eye with us in the political sphere, the socioeconomic sphere, whatever. We love and as we do that, we, we will inspire other people with our actions. And they'll say, hey, there's something different about that person. There's something different about them. And it'll give you an opportunity to talk about the hope that you have and to, to be faithful with your testimony and what God is doing in your life. If we'll just be diligent in our love. Four diligences. Faith, hope, love, the three greatest Christian virtues fourth one is this, community, community. Verse 25 of Hebrews 10 says, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Jesus is coming, and he's coming soon. So our responsibility is to not neglect our meeting together together as some people do. That means we've got to prioritize corporate worship and fellowship. That means we've got to make it a point to be in church houses just like this every single week to be in the body of Christ, to be the body of Christ. That means we've got to get engaged in small groups. We've got to be sure that that we're meeting together in small groups on purpose building relationship, doing life together, dwelling in Christian community. That means that that we need to gather with other believers simply to just do life together and build relationships. We cannot be in God's presence if we are not in the community of other believers. It is integral to who we are, how we were designed. We were made to be in community with other people. In fact, that's how the early church started. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47 says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over all of them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They sold their property and their possessions and they shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. When the family came together, more people came to join them. When the family came together, when the people of God came together in the presence of God, more people came to join them. Got to be diligent in our faith, in our hope, in our love, and in our community. Because the way that we discover God's will for our lives is simply by being in his presence and living a life of holiness unto the Lord is the key that unlocks the door for us to walk through. Maybe you're here today and you've been living a life of sin that's separated you from the presence of God. But today you are ready to be made holy in God's sight by accepting the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that was made on the cross at Calvary. And you're ready to enter into a relationship with Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you this morning, and you're ready to say yes to Jesus, I wanna invite you to pray this prayer along with me. It's on the back screen if you need it. If you're praying this prayer today with me, would you just put your hand up really quick so that I can see and so that God can see. This, This is my intention, to 
enter into a relationship with you. Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else? That's you today. I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Christ died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. And today I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life. Amen. Now, of those four diligences that we discussed, those four areas of diligence, faith, hope, love, community, here's my challenge to you today. We've got about eight, nine weeks between now and Easter. So I want you to consider which one of those areas of diligence needs to be your focus over the next eight or nine weeks. If you're saying, God, like, I long for more of your presence and and. And Lord, I know that you've made me holy and so I wanna step into your presence so that I can discover your will for my life. Which one of those four areas, faith, hope, love, community, do you need to raise the slider in over the next 60 days between now and Easter? Is it, is it faith? Maybe it's taking action in, in the areas of your time or your talent or your treasure, your testimony. Maybe it's, maybe it's the area of hope it's changing your attitude to reflect the future promises that you and I have in God rather than looking at our current situation. Maybe, maybe it's love, and well, that, that looks like it's being specific and intentional about showing the love of Jesus to the people that are around you. Maybe it's a coworker, a neighbor, a friend, a family member, someone that's hurt you, betrayed you. It's not at random, it's specific and intentional. Maybe it's the area of community. Maybe you need to commit to attend church more regularly over the course of this year. Maybe you need to, to get in a small group to be around the table with other like-minded individuals. Maybe you need to purposely seek out and develop a relationship with another believer. Somebody in this room, maybe they're sitting next to you, maybe they're across the aisle. Faith, hope, love, community. Which of those areas do we need to focus on? Let's make that our goal over these next 60 days. Whichever one the Holy Spirit's tugging at us about, that, yep, this is, your, this is your thing, this is your area. Let's raise that slider. Because diligence in this area is gonna help us to remain in God's presence. And whenever we're in his presence, we're in his will. Let's stand together. We're gonna close out the service by crying out for God's presence in this place. And if, if you're here today and you've got a special prayer need, I would love the opportunity to pray with you. As the band leads us in worship, all you gotta do is just simply step out of your seat, come down front. I'll be here, others will be here. We're gonna pray along with you and believe for God to move. But I can't think of any better way for us to respond to the word of the Lord than to declare our intentions to be a people who are in his presence. Amen? Amen. If you got a prayer need, join me down front. Otherwise, let's worship the Lord together. Thank you for joining us. We hope you were inspired by the message. For more information, visit www.thechristwalk.com.